Good day, listeners, and welcome to today's episode of Say Word. Say Word is a podcast we started, and the goal is to inform, to offer diverse perspectives, and add a touch of humor where appropriate to events happening in Toronto and in our world that our viewers can connect with. Now, we started this podcast to give thoughtful and purposeful perspectives. Toronto is home to us all, hence the name. And we want to leave you with content that is a good use of your time. I am your host, Ahmed, a.k.a. I have vibranium in my veins. And helping me make today's episode a success are three brothers. Hirsch, a.k.a. Sorry, I just saw your message. Very fitting, given the times. We got Larone, a.k.a. Mr. I bought a book from a bookstore that's not black-owned and I'm embarrassed, as you should be, my friend. And we got Batter, the world's number one amateur chocolate chip connoisseur. Unfortunately, we don't have Hassan for today's episode. He is dealing with a personal matter. But gentlemen, thank you all for being here today. Thank you for the introduction, brother. Great being here. Great to have you. Great to have you. Summer is over. There's a lot to cover. Has uh, everyone gotten back to, to some sort of normalcy with, with the summer over? And I don't know. I felt like we collectively got robbed of a summer. And especially people who are celebrating birthdays in the summer or special occasions, whether it be marriages, um, anniversaries, I feel like people have had a, a rough go at it. Um, but some people seem to uh, be relishing in uh, work from home and staying at home and spending more time at home. So I think it's a mixed bag. But summer overall this year seems to be a bit of a dud. For sure. And, and the only reason I say normalcy is I, I'm comparing this to when everything kind of hit the fan back in March and in April where it was complete lockdown. But now you have the you have sports back on. You, you're able to go to the barber. The malls are open. So that's kind of the normalcy that I'm referring to. But but all good points, Hirsch. And, and one of the things I actually miss about pre-COVID, I was just thinking about this uh, earlier this week, is playing pickup basketball. And I haven't played pickup ball since... I think it was, and I remember the date actually, March 15th, and I'm missing every aspect of it. But, you know, when, when you think about pickup ball, there's, there's a, a wide range of interesting things and characters that come out. You, know, you see a side of people that you've never seen before. And, you know, there's a saying or there's an expression that you need to live with someone to get to know the real them. My response to that is play pickup basketball with that person and you'll see everything you need to in a matter of 90 minutes. And... Hirsch, actually, my, my question to you is because you have some, some interesting takes on this when we've spoken about this before. What's the, what's the one pickup basketball etiquette you can always count on will always happen? You know, everybody knows there's a few archetypes in pickup basketball. I think the funniest archetype I saw growing up, I refer to as the cigarette hooper. So, like, the guy <laughs> that comes on the court, he has Goodyear tires ah. for lips. <laughs> and he has, he has an immaculate array of moves, okay? But the thing is, he has to win the game in 10 minutes or less. So the, if you can withstand the, like, first maybe, like, six, seven points, because the man will be doing some stuff you've only seen, like, Kobe or Jordan doing. If you can just stand, you actually get to see his power bar diminish in a 10-minute span. They're a microwave, but in terms of stamina, they have the worst stamina on the court. So, uh, just weather, weather the storm, eh? Yeah, just weather the storm. The weather, weather the, the storm. storm. 
the cigarettes <laughs> and the we funny gotta thing love is, after that they're playing against themselves you know exactly 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 and at the end they always talk about how they had like ncaa scouts like they used to like recruit them or used to come to the games I mean, to kind of see them <laughs> but they just couldn't quit the cigarettes so it was the bogeys yeah bogeys bro yeah, I don't How are you going to beat Goodyear Lips? How are you guys going to beat Goodyear Lips? Yo, bro, he beats himself, as Batter mentioned. Like, he's his own downfall. So you just have to weather the storm, bro. You just have to weather the storm. You just have to allow him to get his points, play solid defense, give, make sure he takes effort in collecting those points, and you start to see, like, a diminishing rate of return after every point. But then he starts calling foul, though. That's what I'm saying. That's where the ticky-tack fouls come, you know? So, like, basketball etiquette. Please. Me, I'm not a person that likes to call a foul all the time. I'll call a foul if there's a foul, and I'm fair play. I'll call your foul for you, but, you know, everyone knows you call your own fouls, right? Call your own fouls. That's how I, at least in my hood, we play. Call your own fouls. The one thing, etiquette-wise, I can't get with is a guy who shoots the ball Let's say you give him a little love tap on the wrist, right? But he waits to see yeah. if the ball goes in before they call foul. Exactly. And they hit that. You see the brick? Right. And then right. they call foul. No, no, no. Where where I, at least where I grew up, you, you're literally asking for, like, warfare on the court. Like, yep. that's yeah. – the game stops at, for at least five minutes. That no matter what court you're on, I feel like that's a universal rule. Like, call your foul when it happens, you know? I've played at courts where um, the uh, the the defense calls the foul, right? That that just doesn't work. Ends <laughs> up so playing rugby basketball, right? Yeah. Defense calls fouls. I'm never calling a foul myself. Yes. In my eyes, I've never committed a foul in my life. You know, <laughs> so there's other things like people changing the score and doing all nonsense, like yeah. you know, untying their shoe to tie it again just to waste time. That's a that's a cigarette baller special, by the way. You know, <laughs> you know, right? Yeah, so, yeah. So, yeah. but the fouls, I think that's like the one common ground everyone can get with, right? Yeah, no, yeah, I agree. I agree with a couple of things that uh, Batter said. There's a couple of things etiquette wise that uh, stick out to me from back in the day. So, I'm like Batter. Like when I grew up, you called your own fouls. If you call some ticky tack fouls, that was like frowned upon. Like, but like no one would acknowledge your foul. Like, you know what I mean? We like acknowledge it, but we like acknowledge it grudgingly. Like that wasn't a foul. For me personally, I would never call a foul unless it's like you'd have to like tackle me, like NFL style for me to call a foul. Mm. Like that's how I always played. So whenever I see games where guys are like calling fouls or like flopping, it always is a foreign concept to me because like I, I'm not used to like calling fouls. Like literally, there would need to be blood. For you to call a legitimate foul and for it to be respected, like on the court, right? The thing I don't like etiquette-wise is when guys, you, you you know those type of guys who are like, you know, just a little bit extra with the tough stuff, and when they start losing, they start calling a bunch of fouls. As yeah. soon as the score gets a certain type of way and it's not in their yeah. favor, everything's a foul, right? Yeah. And if you don't acknowledge a foul, it's some type of issue, right? Yeah. So um, those those. Yeah, those guys are annoying. Like those, those guys are like, come on, man. Like, um, that's the only thing that's kind of like annoying. Cause like, when the game's even or when they're ahead, there's nothing being called. But as soon as you start winning, everything's a foul. Everything's a travel. Everything's a double dribble. Something. So, in terms of what Hirsch was saying, in terms of like different type of character, different kinds of characters that come around on the court. Um, 
I think in basketball, like playing pickup basketball, you get to see all types of personalities. You see the guy who comes on the court with like his water bottle and like everything set up, his track suit, the shortest shorts you can imagine seeing, <laughs> his goggles, all kinds of stuff. And he comes there, he has all the moves, but he never scores. There's that guy. There's the guy that He's there for the cardio. Exactly. There's that guy, you know what I mean? There's the, the guy who calls uh, fouls whenever like he's losing. So mm -hmm. it shows you little nuances of everyone's character. So that guy that shows up with all the flash but never scores, it lets me know that, you know, he's probably someone who's all like he dresses up well, you know, a lot of like show but not much substance. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Because there's exactly. always a whole bunch of moves but you never score, right? So yeah. um, some egregious examples. It gets, yeah, it gets, it gets dramatic. I, I, for me, like everything you guys mentioned, uh, you know, I appreciate and, and I admire about the, the world of pickup basketball, but you got to love the theatrics. The theatrics are always the best part. You know, you, you, you tap a man on this, on his wrist and it's like you, you basically snuff the guy. So I, I, I appreciate that. We'll, we'll move on. We'll move on to our next fun topic, uh, job interviews. We love them. We hate them. And we all know that the purpose of the job interview is to show a potential employer that you're an obvious choice for the position. But interviews can be complex, especially as you get further on in your career. And I'm sure we have examples where we come out of an interview and we're like, you know what, I I own that bad boy. Like, I, it, it, they're crazy not to hire me. And then there's some that you come out of it and you're, you're never going to speak of that again. Like, you don't talk about it. And obviously, it's more fun to talk about the latter. And I think our, our listeners can also appreciate some of the most, uh, the, the, they can appreciate the fact that we've all been there before. We've all had bad job interviews. So boys, who, who wants to go first and, and share their, their worst job interview experience? I mean, I can go first because mine's pretty short. Um, the worst job interview experience I've ever had, uh, this was years back. There was like, uh, I forget what they call these, but you know, when, uh, they announced that you can come interview for various jobs. And when you come there, you have to line up and it's like, you just sit and you, like, it's like a speed interview thing. Yeah, job yeah. fair? Job, job fair, yeah. something job fair. like that. Yeah. But they were actually hiring on the spot, I think. But this yeah. was for, yeah, this was for BMO. And um, so I'm, I, I decided to go there and, and try my luck, right? So when I get there, I'm on this line for, I, I don't know how long. I'm on this line for like, an hour, an hour and a half downtown Toronto. Um, so when I finally get up to the interviewer, you know, I sit down. The guy's like, "Hey, you know, good, good afternoon. Thank you for coming." I'm like, "Yes, thank you for having me." So I'm sitting there waiting for the question. This man does not ask me a question. So I'm waiting for a question because typically in an interview, someone asks you a question and you answer the mm -hmm. question. This man's never he, like he never asked me a question. So then after like 15 seconds, he's like, all right, thank you for coming. After I, I, I hand my resume, he's like, all right, thank you for coming. I'm like, so I just like slowly start getting up, but I'm confused the entire time and I'm walking away. And I just realized I stood on a line for an hour and a half. And I probably won't get another opportunity. And I squandered my opportunity. What he was looking for was for me to just start selling myself. So um, that was really, that was, that was a bad experience because I was excited. I stood on the line for an hour and a half. And I was like, I wanted to say something and try to get in there, but I, I misread the entire situation. We just had a staring contest for 15 seconds, and that was it. So that was pretty bad. He didn't That's prompt you or bad. anything? He, he didn't, didn't ask he didn't me any questions. You? This man asked me nothing. 
no questions. He was just like, thank you for coming. And I said, yes, uh, great to have you. And I sat down and I'm waiting for the question. And it's like nothing. I'm like, you know, I, I don't know what it was. I'm not sure why. You know, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it was after, I don't That's know. That's a bizarre format. That's a yeah, it's, like yeah, it's at least you would think you would think he would like at least like tell you like hey this is how the interview is gonna go let's start with you telling me a bit about yourself and then yeah. you go into it right you know LC yeah. aka yeah. Laurent aka bought a book uh, a book uh, from a from a bookstore that wasn't black owned which you should be embarrassed about I want to emphasize <laughs> that as well let me trust me let me tell you that was a tough train ride home because yeah. like I, what I, time I, was it was that around lunch. Like, yeah, it was like one of those like afternoon things where you go to the building and it was a bunch of people. You get my dress burnt. up, probably right. But I dress up. I'm like with the, you know, I'm wearing my shoes that are uncomfortable. I'm on a line for like an hour and a half with those mm-hmm. shoes, mm-hmm. you know, all dressed up and then nothing. And I, I was that was a tough train ride home. But just to explain that, uh, I bought a book from a store that was not black owned. Um, I always promised myself that in Toronto I'm gonna get all my books from. And this is a plug for that bookstore. Uh, they deserve it. It's called A Different Book List. A Different Black Book owned. List. Yeah, okay. They've been a staple in Toronto for decades. Uh, they're on somewhere on Bathurst now. Uh, last time I checked, they were on Bathurst and Bloor, but I think they moved. And even even if they don't have the book you need at the time, you go there, they'll order it for you. So I always supported them because the management there is, is, is uh, amazing. And uh, this time I just went to Chapters and, and got the book. And I felt bad because I wanted to support the store. I always I made that that commitment to myself that I would get all my books from them. So anyway, yeah. We've we've forgiven you, man. Thank you for, for explaining <laughs> that. We've forgiven you. All right. Hopefully we can get a HR professional on on the podcast sometimes talk through some of these things because I feel like there are opportunities to educate our community more and, and give them or like share the strategies. Sorry, no. that, that might be useful to them. I think it's uh, like the whole thing, concept of keeping your network open, trying to, you know, reach out to as many people as possible. I think it's good advice generally. Or there are moments I have. I have a story where I went in for an interview with someone. Um, I had networked my way into that interview to begin with, right? So it was a situation where this person gave me an opportunity already to kind of circumvent whatever process they already had because of my qualifications or whatnot, right? I get in the room, you know, give her, give her my resume, says, tell me about yourself, why you're a good fit, you know, the spiel. And I go, I say, oh, uh, this is, you know, my background, my education, support, et cetera, et cetera. I give her my um, elevator pitch, my two minute, right? Which normally, you know, is a good way of like starting the conversation. She immediately snaps at me that's it that's all that's that's what you came here to tell me and i was taken aback and she went on a big rant basically telling me that you know that's what everybody does when they get into the room with somebody right they tell the background they're telling them what they did in school and former jobs and like and she said this is all on your resume you came and handed me the resume and then proceeded to tell tell me everything that was on your resume but you haven't told me anything about yourself or why you're a good fit. And long story short, you know, I left that interview. Obviously, I, well, I didn't get the job, uh, didn't go well. I left that interview and I, I was really upset, but it actually did motivate me to kind of 
incorporate some of that advice. She was right. I didn't separate myself from anybody else. I wasn't telling her with the precious time that she had, right? Like people's time is valuable. That was another thing I learned. Um, regardless if it really is that valuable, now working in government and seeing, I know for a fact her time was not as valuable as she let on. Um, that's a that's fact. That's a fact. It's a code for it. Know for a fact, she was doing nothing that it's uh, code for you're not that important to me. Yeah. But anyways, 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 I did get good advice. Yeah. Precious time. Make sure you respect people's time. Get to the point right away. Right. Why you're why you're a good fit. Um, and I kind of incorporate that into how I did interviews. A couple months later, I got a job that paid double the initial job. The initial job was just an entry level job that I probably wouldn't have been happy in anyway. Right. Um, and I got a better job out of it, right? Using the kind of lessons uh, I learned in the bad experiences I had. And I guess I'm grateful to her for the advice later on, but I wasn't, I wasn't too happy about the way it was packaged, I guess, right? Yeah. It, and yeah. It's, easy to, it's easy to blow people off like that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't know. I don't know how you guys usually feel about keeping up with people in your network or people that, you know, you've interviewed with and, you know, it yeah. didn't go well. Yeah. I don't know if you want change now. I, I think it's tough. Uh, <clears throat> I think it's um, tough to make uh, those calls without the maturity that you have gained over the years. It also gets to the point of like the job. Uh, we'll talk about this, I think, another time. But the process of looking for a job uh, is a job in and of itself. So yes. people, those human emotions that come out in terms of frustration and disappointment and the highs and lows. Um, it's very natural. I, I feel like for people to react like in a very disappointed manner when it when they don't um, get the job, uh, especially if it's a succession of interviews that they do uh, where they don't get the job. Firsthand experience I've seen actually a guy I used to work with during an internship who originally had not gotten the job and then was able to sell himself in that hour feedback session on why he would be a great candidate. So. You never know where opportunities come from. Obviously, everything that happens is meant to be, but just make sure you do things with grace and you take feedback with grace. We're going to move on to our our main topics now. And there's a lot, I think summer 2020, there's a lot that's, that's happened, especially on the race relations front. And there was footage that recently surfaced that showed Alan Strickland, who's a sheriff deputy with the Alameda County, as the clear aggressor towards Toronto Raptors team president Masai Ujiri. So in June 2019, for those who don't know the story fully, uh, Ujiri was attempting to join the team to celebrate the 2019 NBA championship when he was confronted by Strickland. The video shows Ujiri was clearly and evidently trying to pull out his security credentials, which weren't visible because he was wearing a suit when he was confronted by Strickland. Strickland from there uh, shoved Ujiri twice, and Ujiri defended himself after the shoves. And then immediately after, bystanders intervened, getting Ujiri to join the team to celebrate. And I think the whole incident took about 18 to 19 seconds. But it's another example of police brutality towards blacks, regardless of privilege, regardless of status. Lerone, I want to I want to get your take on this because your, your perspectives are always one of the most interesting. But what does it say about a man? And we're referring to Strickland here with a history of integrity issues. So for those of you who have been following the story, you'll see that Strickland has gotten himself into some deep mess in the past. How he can bring forth a case against someone as accomplished as Ujiri. 
right uh how do i put this it's been a tough uh few months for black people let me just start there this happened last year but it just uh adds to the narrative that really there are situations where it can be as clear as day and uh, we could be in the quote-unquote right but someone will make some type of argument uh despite what we all saw to make it seem like something else so by him even i'm, I'm glad Masai chose to release the video footage i'm sure some someone will have some opinion saying maybe Masai should have you know flashed his name tag from 10 feet away or maybe he should have announced himself or what have you but it just goes to show that no matter how accomplished you are um no matter how you present yourself you're still you can still possibly be treated in that way um i think that security guard just trying to be objective about it when you're dealing with uh potentially you know hostile people or people trying to you know circumvent the rules constantly you develop like a low tolerance for certain scenarios so maybe people were trying to you know get in there and uh be with be around the players during the celebration and this was Masai was maybe like the seventh person he encountered so he responded in a volatile way that still doesn't excuse his behavior though and for him to act like Masai was the aggressor when the video footage clearly shows that he wasn't you know it just goes to show that uh you know people people are people are not honest and people uh not to put it in these terms but uh, the fact that this even is still a discussion shows that you know when you don't have the complexion for the protection um like you know that. it's hard to yeah, it's hard to it's hard to be you know to have your stories accepted and respected it's hard to no matter what suit you wear no matter what your title is you always be faced with these situations this guy is the president of basketball operations for the championship winning team and not to, not that titles matter but that just goes to show that no matter how people always say you know you pull yourself up by your bootstraps you do what you have to do and you won't encounter these situations but here you have someone who's done exactly what he's needed to do his entire life that security guard was in the wrong i'm glad they released the footage it'll be interesting to see how it plays out because for some reason no matter how much uh no matter how right we appear to be in these situations someone always finds some angle to make us look wrong um, I hope it gets resolved and Masai gets uh, vindicated as he should be. But that police officer, no matter how many people you encounter, that um, no matter how difficult your job is, at the end of the day, you have a job and you're supposed to treat everyone with respect and dignity. And shoving that man before you even had a chance to, he was he was actually showing his credentials he when was, he yeah. was being shoved. So yeah. there's no reason to really shove him. So I'm 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 curious to hear. In fact, I don't even want to hear his side of things because I saw the video. Maybe it was just frustration. Maybe he was hungry. Maybe he didn't have a Snickers that day. I don't know. But I know that Masai was disrespected. And I know that the uh, security guard that did that, I don't have a very high opinion of him. I hope he, he recognizes that he was wrong and he just, just admits he's wrong. You know you know what the irony in all this whole story is? And, and Hirsch, if you have a bad, I'll, I'll, get to you, I'll get your thoughts in a moment. But um, when he originally sued Ujiri and, and the Raptors organization, um, he claimed physical, emotional, and mental damages from the incident, from the 19-second encounter. And yeah. his, him and his wife are suing them for, I think, was $75,000. And, again, this is a gentleman who has history of integrity issues by claiming insurance fraud from, like, years prior. He's actually been on leave from work 
since the incident took place. So he's just kind of chilling at home, claiming workplace benefits. So it's 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 interesting. Uh, it's interesting to see like where the background or the history of this guy. One Go thing ahead. about the story, um, it's troubling from a lot of perspectives, right? The incident happened, and then like a few months later, you heard about the lawsuit that uh, Messiah was the one being sued for damages and all this. Um, if you recall, at the time, the Alameda, the Alameda County Sheriff's Department, uh, mind you, he's so the the officer is a deputy sheriff. So the sheriff's office, which is his office, is only um, maybe a handful of people with his seniority or higher. Um, they recommended battery charges, period, right? So think about it. They have the footage. They already saw the footage. I'm, I'm presuming, actually, that I'm actually assuming logic would would kind of lend to the idea that they would look at the footage first, right, and then say, oh, okay, this is what he did. These are the facts, and this is, this is what we'll do from here. But they recommended battery charges on Masai Ujiri which didn't make any sense looking at any of the clips, right? And the one clip we didn't see until recently was the body cam footage, right? Um, which would have told you without a shadow of a doubt, which, without a shadow of a doubt like who did what and, and why, right? So uh, we saw the footage, we know what happened, and we know this, and we still, so the Alameda County Sheriff's Department saw the footage and still decided to press charges on the side of jury. That's what happened, right? Um, the other part of this that's troubling is that He's a deputy sheriff. A deputy sheriff is uh, a public servant in the United States, right? And it's Alameda County. Alameda County has almost two million, one and a half or two million people, right? So this is one of the biggest counties, not only California, in the United States. So this guy is paid very, very well. After this incident happened, this man was at home making his check, making these allegations against Masai Ujiri, tarnishing Masai mm-hmm. Ujiri's biggest accomplishment. Mm-hmm. And not just his biggest accomplishment, tarnishing his career. Potentially. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. He Keep took this. not a moment, not just a moment from Ujiri. He took potentially the way he's viewed as throughout the entire league because we didn't have that body cam foot- footage and no one knows what exactly happened between them, right? There were plenty of people sitting in the stands that know, but none of them came forward, right? Unfortunately. Um, there were people on Twitter saying, oh, yeah, Messiah wasn't the one who started it, which is what we all presume, to be honest. Right. But this is how pervasive sometimes racism is. Right. It's institutionalized to the point where someone would see that and say the black man was the one that was the aggressor, not the person that pushed him. Right. The, the black man was the one who committed a crime when this all turned from a criminal case. Then now it's a civil suit. Right. And you can see this officer is this literally hanging on to this. Right. And then you look at his past. Right. The fraud, the allegations of fraud, or I don't know. He was convicted. He was convicted. He was convicted. There you go. He was convicted. convicted, Right? So you look at the contrast. Masai Ujiri, shining example of of, uh, a black man in his community doing great things. Black excellence. Black excellence. Not just just Toronto, but black people everywhere. The camps that he's set up in West Africa and Central Africa, right? The amount of work that he's put into putting other people on a pedestal, to doing things for others. And this is what happens to him. It's so easy for him to be taken down a level, right? Because someone made this allegation. And I just don't think it's fair, right? Um, it's so it's so crazy that for some reason we're comparing him and we're trying to decide who's right and wrong between him 
and someone who's been convicted of fraud, right? And who's making a false allegation, and we have witnesses potentially that are saying that it was a false allegation, right? So, I mean, the Alameda County paid his salary, right? So I hope they're, I hope they're happy with who they have as public servants who are running their sheriff's deputy or whatever office it is. Like, it's absurd how pervasive it is and how little anybody did about it, right? And they just let yeah. this thing linger and linger and linger over Jiri's head. But I'm glad he's now countersuing, and I hope he gets every fucking penny <laughs> straight yeah, up. Yeah, exactly. Seriously. And, and apparently, weird. recently, they said that they want the, the sheriff's deputy. What is his name? Alan Strickland. I don't even know. Alan, Alan Strickland. Strickland. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Alan Strickland. Strickland. They said that they want him to pay back his salary that he made in the in the, in the last few months since the since yeah. the incident. Dude, so that's yeah. good. So that's good, and it's, right? And it's but no this is small a amount. I think it's like 143000 that he's made. So, like I said, he's a sheriff's deputy in one of the biggest counties. Yeah, that's how much they, he's made in less than a year, you know? They so, reported yeah. his salary. I don't know how true this is, but they reported it. It was on Fox, so dig it for what, what it's worth. Mm. Uh, and they said that he made, I think, in the last year or so, more than $200,000 USD. Mm-hmm. Just put that into context. American. Yeah. yeah. American. Yeah. Yeah, there's a few things that come to mind when I think about this situation. One is the frustration that when you're black and you're talking about your lived experience with regards to police interactions, you're forced to come with concrete evidence. So mm-hmm. it, it's if you don't have something as clear as the body-worn camera, you're you're out of luck. So you can get roughed up. You know, this is a this is a culture that's that's been in place. So you can get a you know, punch here, roughed up, you know, tossed around. And unless you have video evidence, you're out of luck. And when these things go public, you're talking about uh, situations where there is evidence for aggression and it's on video. The question is, why didn't he comply? And that's kind of what we were seeing replay with the Masai Ujiri thing. It's like, you know, this is a man of integrity. Um, You know, he deserves to be on the court. As we mentioned, this is the height of his career uh, up to this point. His team celebrating a championship, yet it still has to be tarnished. It it taught us a few things in terms of no matter what level you're at. And sometimes I feel like when black people become successful, they there's a tendency some for some of them to begin othering themselves. You know, like, oh I don't have to deal with this. You know, this is not a this racism is not a thing that affects me in my day to day. But you never know when it comes knocking at your door, right? So you could be at the highest of high positions. I think Oprah, there was a story back in the day of Oprah being profiled um, uh, at a retail store. And I think about the person who is, you know, not the aggressor or the person who is the actual victim in the situation. At times they're, um, especially in a world that we live in now with snap judgments, like Masai Ujiri could have released this immediately. His legal team could have released this immediately. But I think it was it, it gave us a chance to kind of see this play out in the public sphere, right? So the man knew he was innocent the entire time of what he was being charged at and the audacity for that officer to sue him, to not only harm him, but then sue him afterwards. I think it was well played by Masai to take his time because it's a lesson for all of us that just because someone doesn't make a statement right off the bat in a world that we live in where uh, people are scrambling, people are susceptible to anxiety about their careers, about what their image is. Let's not confuse um, someone taking their time to figure out 
how to package their response uh, to aggression for guilt, which which happens sometimes. So people assume, oh, he's quiet, he must be guilty. He's quiet, there must be something that he did that was wrong that he doesn't want us to know. Like, no, the man is seeing this play out, um, but it's a lesson, you know? It's a lesson for all of us. So it was nice that he actually took his time because the officer suit kept quiet. In news media, like, oh, we have to get both sides. And now that both sides are released, you see the public backlash, right? So even if you are on uh, the side of like, oh, wait, let's not rush to judgment. Now you see what is in front of you is clear as day. He tried to tarnish a moment. And, and it, it and Lerone, you talked about trauma that, you know, we in the black community are kind of dealing with um, during this time with covid uh, disproportionately affecting our community, seeing giants like Kobe and Chad Bo- Chadwick Bozeman uh, passing away, you know, people that push the culture forward. It reminds me that at times, um, even during your most celebrated moments, these ugly issues of racism and, and, and discrimination tarnish those moments, you know, and it's, it's one of those things where it's kind of a uniquely Black experience, um, I feel, at times where it's your the pinnacle of your success. Very easy for someone to throw you off balance by creating this scenario that kind of tarnishes that moment. And I feel like hopefully we'll get to a point where people will be more thoughtful in terms of commenting on a situation that just pops up. I have a rule where I just I don't offer my uh, snap judgments or advice or feedback right off the bat because I need to see more data points and I don't want to make a comment. Even even me being a fan of Masai Ujiri, even me believing in his integrity, even me knowing that there must have been something that forced him to react, um, I take my time in kind of seeing all the data points that are being provided and I see that uh, Masai was very, very thoughtful in the way he responded. And I think the, the sad reality is if you're black and you're dealing with these kind of incidents, Hard evidence is is, is uh, kind of what you need. And even in the face of hard evidence, these cops sometimes um, still act as the aggressors. And I don't know if you guys heard of the Arkansas sheriff who resigned, Todd Wright from Arkansas County, who literally was caught on phone. Uh, kind of the same with the Donald Sterling situation. And <clears throat> he told the girl, I don't want to see you around black people. Got mad at her for like having interactions with black people said all these racial slurs and then the classic line when he got exposed publicly he said this is not me so like who is it (laughs) yeah (laughs) you know that line that it makes me die of laughter they're like that person on the call wasn't me yeah actually it was was your voice um no you have to you have to drop the shaggy in the in the yeah that has to be in this podcast or I'm never participating again. That is the dumbest excuse I've ever heard. Just, you know what? I'm just going to flatly deny it. Yeah, yeah. You just said it wasn't me. But you, you resigned. So for so long, our community has been um, marginalized in terms of our voices. When we speak out against, against aggression, like we're the victims in, in a lot of these situations, and we were just told, oh, come on, oh, no, that can't be true, that can't be true. And now there's a reckoning. The reason there's these movements is 
even people who are not black are kind of being like, this is ridiculous, you know, this is all recorded and it's still like people are denying it or saying you deserve it or whatnot. So I think Masai Ujiri went about his business quietly, but uh, he definitely uh, pushed the envelope on, on showing that, you know, we deal with this at all levels. So everybody who thinks there's like a certain level of success that will get rid of all these problems it's like it's it's not happening. You kind of have to reckon with them. Can I just say one more thing with this Maasai situation? I don't know why I feel extra preachy this Sunday, but um, I just want to remind the listeners to stay on your square. You know, when you're on your path, uh, this applies to everyone, but particularly when you're a black man, stay on your square. Because whenever, from my experience, whenever you're getting ready to elevate or go to a new level, because if you think about it, Maasai was just about to celebrate probably his biggest accomplishment as a, a professional, right? And that will forever be tainted with that experience, you know, mm -hmm. unfortunately. But stay on your square, stay on your path, because at every level you're about to ascend to, you'll be met with some type of, uh, or you may be met with some type of um, situation that will make you feel like being a lesser version of yourself. So I just uh, listened to a line from Big Sean on Nas's new album, King's Disease, which is incredible, by the way. He said... Um, it only takes a one moment to ruin your wik your Wikipedia. It only mm -hmm. takes one moment to ruin your Wikipedia. Mm -hmm. So um, just stay on your square, stay prayed up because these devils are out here and they're trying to knock you off of your square. So, and I don't mm -hmm. mean devil in terms of any group. I'm talking about just people who are wicked. You know, trying mm -hmm. to you know trying to sue the man after you violated him. I know sometimes with these celebrities, there's a an, an idea that um, these celebrities want these issues to go away, so maybe they'll just settle with settle with you, and you'll be better off financially if you just sue. To me, that's that's uh, that's pretty egregious. That's pretty, you know, deceitful. And I applaud Masai for how he dealt with it, the legal channels that he's uh, taking advantage of to make sure he's vindicated. I hope mm -hmm. he does get vindicated. Yeah. Just I just want to add one more, a couple more things actually. One thing um, to put this all in context, this was like couple games after Kyle Lowry was pushed by a yeah. minority shareholder yeah, in the Warriors. Right. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I forgot about that. I forgot about that. Yeah, forgot about that. Yeah. Going to games, and they yeah. forced him to sell his shares too, right? So, uh, like, this in context, this something already happened where there was already some tension, right? And then that happened. Uh, that's one. Number two, we won the last game in Oracle Arena, so Masai got his revenge in the end. They'll never play another basketball game in that arena, and the Raptors won the last ever game in that arena. So they can hold on to that, all right, and they can deal with whatever other issues yeah. they have with us afterwards, you know? They, yeah. And let's, let's not pretend, like, that team got gentrified. They were in Oakland. They moved the yeah. team to San Francisco, right? That team yeah. is trending downwards in every sense of that word. Right. So let's just let's just keep that one there and, and think about that. You know, there's Facts. a lot of problematic things Facts. going around, going on with the Warriors right now. Uh, and a lot of them are off the court and like Facts. how they're changing, who is a fan of that team and how they're pricing people yeah. out. Like they should look at what's going on with the Masai Ujiri situation as part of a bigger problem rather than like. It's symbolic. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. I say shout out to Draymond Green too. Black Lives Matter in Canada and everywhere else for that matter. 
So shout yeah, out exactly, to you. right? Yeah. Black yeah, Lives Matter in Canada too, Draymond. Yeah, yeah. 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 Very symbolic points. And yeah, Ujiri's grace in terms of how he handled it, just absolute grace. And, and I love Batter just bringing the points that, you know, the Raptors had the last laugh at the end of the day. And hopefully with the way things are trending, with things being exposed for Strickland, that we're going to continue to have the last laugh. Uh, it only takes one moment to ruin your Wikipedia. That that should be the say word moment for today. Just that one line. Thanks for, for bringing that up, Laron. On the topic of sure. black excellence, I wanted to shift our, our main, our last main topic to, and dedicating it to Chadwick Boseman. The late Chadwick Boseman, actor and producer, passed away in his home in Los Angeles to a four-year battle with colon cancer. And one of, personally, my first experiences with Boseman was his role, or was in his role in 42, playing the role of baseball legend Jackie Robinson, which was, you know, a movie ahead of its time, uh, when you think about it, back in 2013. And it's one of those few movies that I vividly remember watching in theaters in terms of really just depicting the story of Jackie in terms of what he had to go through and all of the, the hurdles he, he had to overcome. And Boltzmann's family revealed many of his films, including Black Panther, Marshall, The Five Bloods, August Wilson's Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, were filmed during and between countless surgeries and chemotherapy. Now, that's insane to think about when you, when you think about that, because majority of people, if they were in a, in a similar position going through surgeries and chemotherapy, rightfully so, they would take a step back or take a step, step away from their careers to focus on their health, which they have every right to do so. But, you know, Bosman just, just relented on. Hirsch, you know, I'd love to get your, your perspective on, you know, we can, we can make a ton of guesses as to what was Bosman's driving motivator. Um, so, you know, from your perspective, what do you think his, his, his motivator, his main motivator was, you know, in terms of shooting these films and being the star in these films despite his health? And do you think there's perhaps maybe an underlying motivation had anything to do with him trying to empower black stories and bringing them to life with everything happening in the U.S.? Do you think there's any correlation there? It's tough because I can't get into the man's head, so I, I can't speak on exactly what his... Um, yeah, yeah, we can't, of course, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I have to first give him a shout out because he was very like culturally re relevant. Um, he was an inspiration to us all. The fact, I think after he passed away, the fact that we all learned um, that he was dealing with cancer for a number of years and he was shooting these films while dealing with cancer just went to show us that I think he had real belief in the meaning of his work and when you have a purpose in in your job um when you really believe in your job when you believe in in the fact that what you're doing makes the world better i think it encourages you to try to overcome any personal obstacles to carry out your work so he portrayed jackie robinson in the movie 42 um he he portrayed uh thurgood marshall with black panther this cultural paradigm shift um i think he brought a lot of joy and a lot of celebration to black people, black families. Um, I remember when I was in uh, the um, Bay Area uh, during when uh, Black Panther was released, uh, my cousins rented out a theater and people actually like dressed up. Like it was a cultural moment for all of us. Um, and it was a chance for us to show uh, that 
not only can a movie be centered around a black superhero, but it can be financially successful and not financially successful in the mediocre sense. I'm talking about a blockbuster movie. Um, so I think, you know, people walk around or carry around a lot of things that perhaps they're, they're not wanting to share with people. So Chadwick was an interesting personality type because some people are more public in, in what they deal with, uh, what they try to overcome, but he was private all the way up to his passing. Mm, celebrities are not usually known for like just dealing with things in silence, right? So I think given all the comments that were released afterwards from his peers, from those that knew him, it, it, it uh, illustrated the fact that we lost the giant. So I think there was a Jay-Z line where he said, I'd rather, uh, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, I'd rather die enormous than live dormant, uh, something along those lines. So I think he accomplished that. Um, I think he, in, in his time on Earth, uh, made a great impact. Yeah, I think with him him being tied to Black Panther, the character, it means a lot to a lot of people. Like I grew up a comic book fan and I never, I never thought that there would be a Black Panther movie one day. I thought there would be an Avengers movie after they started doing all these superhero movies. I thought, yeah, there'd be an Avengers movie and you'd have, you know, Thor, Iron Man, Hulk, and Captain America. You get like the, the ones you typically get in movies or major comic series, right? So um, Black Panther, a comic book character, is a significant character, right? So the fact that he was mi always seemed to be missing from these movies was significant, right? And so when the movie came out, it was big, not just for black people, it's big for everybody who was a comic book fan. It was very significant. And the way, you know, how widely popular that movie was, it was the first time I really felt like people were appreciating blackness right For, weirdly right it's like in the same way people appreciate the nba or you know it's like do you really want to kind of subscribe to that but at some points you're like you see some white kid you know doing the wakanda sign and you're like that's kind of cool right i i, I like that that that's the mm -hmm. weird it's a weird thing where you see you're like you're hopeful that oh okay something simple as that becomes something greater, right? It becomes a, a greater appreciation, right? For other mm -hmm. things, not just some comic book hero, right? So it's, he's very significant in that sense. And I think the other characters he's played, I have to admit, I haven't seen 42 and that's on me. And I should, that's a movie I should see being such a big sports fan, um, knowing the kind of barriers that Jackie Robinson broke down. Um, and I'm going to be seeing that movie soon. Um, but the other movies and the other characters and the other kind of roles that he played, he he had a commitment to playing strong black characters and yeah. sometimes showing vulnerability, right? Which is now pointing back to his health. It's so crazy that, you know, he played these characters and that he lived through this illness. Like I've had to experience loved ones going through a prolonged illness and it's very tough on family and friends. And I can't imagine how he did that throughout all of these movies that he that he that he started, right? So um just goes to show, like Hirsch said, like you don't know what people are living through, you don't know what people are battling. Um you do wanna use that as fuel for you to be better to other people in the world. Um yes. he is a reminder for that. Um and I think I think 
he's one of those actors that 20, 30 years from now, people will remember because of the roles he played, right? I'm happy that he has that legacy. Um, and it's, it's, it is sad that he's gone too soon, right? So, Laron, you, you mind if I just say one, one quick thing before, before yeah, you yeah, go? Because I know, I know you have a point. But uh, as I was watching Black Panther last night, I, I, I kept thinking, like, what about, like, the countless black children all over, like, the world that are watching this now? And you contrast that to our upbringing. Like, when we grew up, every superhero was white. Batman, Spider-Man, X-Men, Wolverine, like, you name it. And, like, while we appreciated them, we never had anyone that we can identify with, which is, which is powerful. And that's what, that's what Chadwick represented. And, and I, I think just that alone, you know, is just someone that we're going to miss. No, um, I want to, since we're on the topic of Black, Black Panther, I'll touch on that first and um, then say some other things about uh, that young man. You know, um, the impact of that movie is, is undeniable. Um, and I have to speak on it because it meant so much to our community. Mm. Um, that movie, besides um, just us seeing ourselves as superheroes for the first time in cinema, well, there was Spawn and other things and Blade also, but this was like the first uh, cinematic release of this magnitude where we could look at it and be proud, right? He was and a I king. He was a king he of was a, a king, absolutely. Yeah, of like he one of the right? most forward progressive countries in the world that no one absolutely. knew about. Absolutely. So there was a lot of, uh, in, in terms of the uh, making of that movie, if you look at certain scenes, there, even though it was a fictional nation, they drew upon a lot of real African history. And I think seeing that, that was the proudest I've ever been personally sitting watching a movie because I felt that finally some part of like Africa is re being represented mm -hmm. in a regal, royal, prestigious type of way. Uh, they did it with Coming to America, but that was in the 80s. So this, in a superhero movie, that was, uh, it was very, uh, a very proud moment for our community. And I, I kind of draw correlations between stuff like that, albums like To Pimp a Butterfly by Kendrick Lamar, and how those ideas and how that art kind of seeps into everyday life and social and civil, civil rights, the civil rights movement and um, just how we see ourselves and what's possible, right? I don't think the activism we see today is as impactful or as, as powerful without the Black Panther movie. Because for the first time, if you notice, even with... Uh, the Democratic Party, when they were making, when when the George Floyd incident initially happened, uh, certain representatives, high-ranking representatives from the Democratic Party, even though some people didn't like it, they were wearing like African garments, right? You would never have seen that before, right? I think the Black Panther movie had something to do with that because it showed that Africa isn't just 1-800-SAVE-THE-CHILDREN and flies and, you know, it's, there's a lot of uh, there's a majestic and, and, and regal nature to Africa that should be recognized and a history in Africa that should be recognized and appreciated. And Black Panther made that mainstream, recognizing that. And it put us in conversations that we should have always been in with other cultures and having our culture uh, uh, respected in that way. So I want to thank him for his depiction of T'Challa and, and acting like a king because he was a king. You know, if you Look at this guy's mannerisms just outside of like when he was doing press. He had this like regal and supreme wow. poise to him. Yeah. He was yeah. a real classy guy and you could tell classy him. Classy guy. Yeah. Some of it now I, I think 
just looking back on it, it, it a lot of things make so much sense with him because if, if you look at the first uh, movie, the uh, Captain America Civil War, yeah, that was jacked, right? He was jacked, like he was he was a lot bigger. He was, you know, he looked in uh, in great shape. And for the Black Panther movie, I always wondered why he didn't put back on that muscle for the movie. Now it makes sense. Yeah, maybe he couldn't put on yeah. that weight again. Um, I, as Batter mentioned, like with me, I also um, have lived with two family members, very close family members who were diagnosed as terminally ill. And um, seeing them day to day come face to face with their own mortality is a very, very sobering experience. And I don't know how this man conjured up the energy and the strength to go to work every day and to keep this a secret. No one knew, uh, which is a testament to his character also because he could have put it out there. Yeah, yeah. He could have put it out there and got all the pity points and, you know, got, you know, his Twitter would have been, you know, all the pity and all the, they would be, you know, everywhere he go, he went, he'd be, you know, celebrated a little bit more because people knew what he was dealing with. He never, mm -hmm. he never even claimed that. He just continued mm -hmm. along his path. Yeah. And I think that's indicative of his character. And mm -hmm. I think uh, some of his, like some of, of how he acted, I think, is because of he was dealing with this, uh, this issue. Because when, you, when you're, you're dealing with your own mortality every day, it kind of strips away all the nonsense, strips away all of the good point. Yeah. And pride and the meaningless point, yeah. debates. Like you just have, only have time for your purpose in life. You don't have time to be caught up in anything extra, you know? So all mm -hmm. he was doing, you know, doing Make-A-Wish, uh, uh, I don't know if it was Make-A-Wish, but visiting sick children, doing his work, focusing on his family, giving inspirational mm -hmm. speeches, trying to build and not destroy in this world. So um, this man was a, an excellent depiction of black excellence. Um, mm -hmm. I, I, I send my condolences and, and strength to his family. And uh, mm -hmm. this is a big loss for us because he was a really – really stellar representation, much like Maasai, um, mm -hmm. stellar representation of black excellence. God rest his soul. It's also a reminder for us to be vigilant about our own health and, and go for those screenings and, and yeah. make sure you visit the doctor and make That's sure right. that you're, yeah, you, you keep up to date, right? Because just because you look healthy, just because you're young in, 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 in your age, um, doesn't mean that you're guaranteed another day, you know? So it's a reminder yeah. to kind of close it all if, if anyone else has any last comments. But I think, I, you know, what I hope his legacy does leave is that it it inspires other black actors to make sure that they take on roles that Chadwick took on himself. Right. That 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 highlight excellence within the black community. Right. I, I hope that it really inspires them versus taking on the roles that they'll naturally that. Hollywood will typically put them into or typecast them into. I hope that it kind of t forces them to kind of look within themselves and and take on those challenging roles that Chadwick Cook took upon himself. But a lot of lot of really incredible lessons we can take from from this beautiful man's life. Be vigilant with our health is obviously the first one. But even reflecting on our own mortality, right? Because we're all as as sad as it is to say, we're all gonna step into that stage of our lives at some point in time, right? And so to Lerone's point, like not being focused on the ego, not focusing on the trivial things and really focusing on what our purpose is and what we were brought on this world to, to accomplish and to achieve. So thank you very much, gentlemen, for 
for your perspectives. As always, you know, great, great conversation. And, and for our listeners, we hope you enjoyed today's episode. We hope that you found it insightful and we, we hope that you tune into to our next episode. We hope it made you think and we look forward to having you join us join us soon so be safe everyone and if you enjoyed today's episode and you enjoyed what you heard please comment share and subscribe three simple steps for support can go a long way and we're going to end it there gentlemen take care